Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Health While Aging, a podcast that gives you strategies and information about improving the health and well-being of older adults. We discuss common health problems that affect people over age 60, the best ways to prevent and manage those problems, and we also often address common concerns and dilemmas that come up with aging parents and other older loved ones, like what to do if you're worried about falls or safety or memory or even the quality of an older person's health care. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Kernison. I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying healthcare so that it works better for older people and for their families. In this episode, I'm going to talk about the concept of successful aging. And I'm recording this episode in May, which is actually Older Americans Month here in the United States. The theme this year is Engage at Any Age. Now, whenever there are national initiatives related to aging, I find myself thinking, just what does it mean to succeed or do well as an older adult? And this is an important question to think about. To begin with, our understanding of what is success and what to strive for is fundamental to how we judge ourselves and others. And what we know is that older adults are often judged fairly negatively or harshly for their age. People may judge themselves harshly, and they may be viewed negatively by others. And that's definitely driven to a certain extent by what we might think is successful aging or better aging. And if we think somebody has not met those uh, standards, then we are likely to judge them more unfavorably. And then for us as a society, articulating what's involved in experiencing good or successful aging is important because that helps us understand what kinds of things that we should focus on to help more older adults age well or otherwise, quote unquote, succeed in late life. And so, for instance, our conception of what is good aging or successful aging may well drive what kinds of things we focus on during Older Americans Month. So just as philosophers and others have long debated what it means to live a good life, uh, I think it's very valuable to regularly come back to this question of what does it mean to succeed, or perhaps a more accurate uh, phrase would be to do well as an older adult. And this way we can know whether we are quote-unquote succeeding as a society that supports and values its older population. So because I was thinking about this question, I recently wrote a related article on the Better Health While Aging website. Now, let me say right from the beginning that the question of what is successful aging is not a simple question to answer. It's actually deeply complicated and uh, has long been the subject of vigorous inquiry and debate in gerontology. And in fact, in 2015, the journal, The Gerontologist, devoted an entire issue to the topic of successful aging. So it's not something that's easy to cover. But what I wanted to do is share in the podcast what I did in the article, which is just talk about one definition of successful aging, which I think is fairly commonly held in the minds, uh, certainly of the public. The gerontologists have moved beyond it. So I just want to unpack that and talk about the the problems with it. And then I want to share another approach to thinking about success in aging that I recently came across that I thought was much more constructive and actually true to what I see happening to uh, people in, in late life. 
And then I'll finish with, you know, a couple questions for you, as I would like to encourage us all to, again, think about this question of what does successful aging mean for ourselves and people we know and our society. So what is this common definition of successful aging that I find a bit problematic? Now, before I go into that, I mentioned before the journal, The Gerontologist, and this is a good moment for me to give props to my colleagues in gerontology. Now, don't confuse gerontology and geriatrics. Gerontology is the comprehensive study of aging and, quote unquote, the problems of the aged. So it's a much broader discipline that encompasses things like sociology. It's just much broader than geriatrics because geriatrics is actually fairly narrow. Geriatrics is a medical specialty. It's the medical care and in a broader sense, the health care of older people. Now, of course, it, it ties into all these things related to their environment and life. That's actually true for everybody's house. But uh, all geriatricians are, are doctors or trained health professionals, uh, whereas gerontology is, is much broader. So that question of, you know, what does it mean to age well is, uh, is not something that we in geriatrics are, are experts in, but our colleagues in gerontology have been writing about it and thinking about it and studying it for, for decades right now, and I'm very grateful to them for doing this. So there's a long and rich history of debating what it means to successfully age that has been, from a scholarly perspective, again, led by the gerontology community. And I can't summarize it all right now, but I want to highly recommend, if you have any interest in this, an article that was published a few years ago that summarizes the debate. And I especially enjoyed the part on the historical perspective on aging, in which the authors go back to uh, the Greeks, the Bible, other traditions, and bring in this really interesting historical perspective on how people have, you know, described aging in prior times. So it's available for free in PubMed Central, and I will post a link to it in the show notes. And the article is called Defining Successful Aging, a Tangible or Elusive Concept. So you can see in the title there that this is not a simple idea. So I recently read this article, and I'm going to distill out, you know, one piece of it that I thought was interesting, which is that in the article, they, they, they talk about how in the late 80s and early 90s, a MacArthur network on successful aging was launched. It was led by Jack Rowe and Robert Kahn, a physician and a psychologist, uh, respectively, along with a group of 16 other scientists from a wide range of backgrounds. And they were trying to clarify the factors that promote quote-unquote positive aging, and they ended up defining three criteria of successful aging which were freedom from disease and disability, having high cognitive and physical functioning, and then active engagement with life. Now, my understanding is the group at the time realized that this was a contrast with, you know, quote unquote, usual aging, but they wanted to, to define something to, uh, to strive for. And they worked for, with that conception for a while, but eventually it was critiqued for a number of, of valid reasons. And, you know, gerontologists have certainly built on it, expanded on it, gone in, in other directions. And one of the main critiques was that many, if not most older adults, will eventually not be able to meet all three criteria. And so, you know, what do we do with that? So, so gerontologists have, have moved beyond that model. But when I read about this model, the thing that popped into my head is that, well, this seems to be how many people in the general public think about successful aging. 
it's certainly what the media often conveys to us, that that basically a, a quote-unquote good older person is one who may quote-unquote look older, but is still able to do everything that they could do earlier in life. And it's actually been part of the campaign to combat ageism is to sort of push back against this idea that when you're, you're 70 or 80, you're not able to do uh, the things you could do before. You're less able to do things than younger people. And so often we see demonstrations to help younger people realize that just because you reach a certain age point in numbers does not correspond to a, a decline in ability or a disengagement in life. And so in fact, in 2016, AARP, which has been uh, championing a disrupting aging uh, campaign for the past few years, they released a video. And I will post a link to the video. I think it's actually entirely worth watching this video. It's about what millennials think is old. It's a four-minute video. And in the beginning, they're asked to to say what they think, first of all, to, to say at what age somebody is old, and then to demonstrate how does an older person cross the street, do push-ups, do jumping jacks. And then you can probably guess what's going to happen. A handful of older adults aged, um, I think, in their mid-50s to mid-70s are brought out and demonstrate to the millennials that they are much, much more able than the millennials has realized. So we now have you know, at least a handful of millennials who have uh, been re-educated and enlightened, yay. But what strikes me about the video, and I do hope you'll see it, is that at the end, you know, people are still describing old negatively. It's just that none of these people aged in their mid-50s or mid-70s are considered old. And actually, one of the older adults himself says, well, when people start stopping, that's when they start getting old. So to me, what this signals is that we still think of old in a way that's pejorative. They've just kind of moved up the the age range and decided that, realized that just because you're in your 70s doesn't mean you're necessarily old, but old is still something kind of negative sounding that's, uh, that's further away. And presumably because at some point, in some way, they're associating old with having some chronic illnesses or disabilities and not having that high cognitive and physical function that is so prized in our society. And so again, the problem with conceiving of successful aging as, as maintaining your high mental function and physical function and being actively engaged in life, what happens when an older person reaches a stage when that's no longer possible? And that does happen to most people at some point, because if not, then that means you've either been lucky enough or unlucky enough, depending on, on how you put it, to, um, to drop dead quickly. Or you've been one of the lucky people who manages to maintain all of that into uh, a pretty advanced age. So if that's our conception of successful aging, that you remain like the older adults in this AARP video, what happens when you're no longer able to be like that? You're no longer able to do the things that you could do before, or you've developed a lot of chronic illness, or you've developed some limitations in your thinking abilities or your physical abilities. Have you now failed to age successfully? And importantly, are we going to judge you for that? Are we going to judge that you didn't do the right things or make the right decisions? And the answer to that question, by the way, is that research shows that we do judge older adults and uh, research that was done a few years ago on how most people think about aging and why aging problems happen is that most people do assume that it's the individual's actions that had a strong effect on their 
their life and how they are when they are older. Whereas what the experts will tell you, the gerontologists and also the geriatricians, is that it's heavily tied to social um, social support factors, like the availability of services that can help people uh, maintain their abilities even when they are starting to have some problems. So given that there are all these problems with the commonly held idea of successful aging, is there a better way to think about what constitutes success in aging? So I will post a link in the show notes to another article. Now, this one's a bit wonky. I mean, both these articles were were written for gerontology uh, journals, not for the lay public. But I found another article describing a model and a way to frame success in aging that I found very interesting and that I liked quite a lot because I felt that it spoke to what I see older adults uh, experiencing. So this model has a long, complicated name, the Comprehensive Preventive Corrective Proactive Model, which is really word salad, and I'm not going to say it again, but what's involved in this model? So in this model, they start with the presumption that as one gets older, at some point, there'll be an accumulation of health-related and social stressors. So presumably, we can all agree that this is true. Your likelihood of developing health problems certainly goes up as you get older, and then you'll experience social stressors, whether that's related to ageism or related to losing people who are important in your life. People's roles change either because they retire or they're forced to retire. So it's true. All these uh, stressors come up as people get older, and the authors of this model, and the authors, by the way, are Eva Kahana, Boaz Kahana, and Jung Yun Lee. I hope I said their names right. So they note that if it weren't for these age-related stressors that are so common, then we wouldn't need to define successful aging in a way that's different than how we define successful living at any age. So I think that is true as well. So in this model, what they propose is that they say that there are some people who maintain good physical health, mental health, and engagement in social activities without any conscious coping efforts. So that means that they're not making a particular effort to either uh, maintain their health or maintain their involvement. And so those people, they say we should consider the quote-unquote lucky agers. But they point out that most people are not so lucky, and so they end up needing to find a way to cope and adapt to those age-related stressors, and they specifically cite the stressors of uh, chronic illness, social losses, and then something they call, quote-unquote, lack of person-environment fit. So that could be the fact that the, the spaces where you are, whether that's your house, whether that's your neighborhood or the external environment, are harder for you to manage. And that certainly happens to people, often because they've developed some physical limitations or possibly cognitive ones. So what do people do in the face of these stressors? Well, according to the authors... Uh, they say that many people end up purposefully finding ways to cope with these, which they call making proactive adaptations. And then they further uh, sort of subdivide these adaptations in two ways. They say that one, you can do it in a preventive fashion, which means you kind of start anticipating a future or impending age-related stressor, and you take action a little bit earlier to to help yourself uh, navigate it. Or they say that you can make corrective adaptations, which means that once the stressor or problem emerges, you start finding ways to cope with it. And what does it mean to cope with it and make adaptation? And so they offer some examples of these proactive 
um, of these adaptations, behaviors that people make. And so there are examples of preventive ones would be that they start paying more attention to their health and taking care of their health to prevent age-related declines. So of course, I entirely approve, and I know that's the reason that many people actually are part of the audience at Better Health While Aging. They're trying to take better care of themselves so that they can delay or prevent later age-related health problems. Another example of a preventive adaptation would be planning ahead, which was actually the, uh, you know, the theme last month for National Healthcare Decisions Day. So they're making plans ahead of time. They may move to different type of housing ahead of time before there's a crisis. So those would be examples of you know, preventive adaptations. And then they offer some examples of corrective ones, which would be once you are diagnosed with a chronic illness, it's being actively engaged in managing it. If you need help uh, because you're having difficulty with things, it's accepting that help or finding ways to get that help. And then you can also make adaptations to a problem with your environment by modifying your house to make it a better fit for your abilities or possibly moving. Uh, Same thing goes with transportation. If you're having difficulty with the driving, then you find either ways to improve your driving uh, skills, if that's possible, or you find alternative ways to manage the transportation needs. And so what does it take for older people to, to do this? Well, in this model, they sort of call out the resources that older adults must draw upon, which are both internal and external. So the internal ones are things like attitude and optimism and uh, finding a way to still maintain some autonomy and dignity in the face of these challenges and thinking about the future. And then the external resources that they have to marshal Uh, might be their financial resources, but also just, you know, drawing on available social support, whether that's the help of family and friends or the help of available programs that are designed to support older adults and their families. So the last aspect of the model that I think is important is, you know, what is the outcome of interest? And the outcome is, is not, did you not get sick or disabled Or, you know, were you able to not give up any of the things that you used to love to do when you were younger? The outcome instead are quality of life outcomes, including things like your own self-assessment of your success and your satisfaction in life, meaning in life, having a, quote, positive affective state, close quote, which basically means having often being in a positive mood or often experiencing positive emotions And then lastly, it's the ability to participate in valued activities. And those may be a little different than the ones from from before, but that the person still finds some activities that they value that they can participate in. In short, in this conception of successful aging, success is not defined as remaining free of disability or disease. Instead, the success is in finding ways to cope with either impending illnesses and stressors or existing ones. And success means marshalling your internal resources, your resilience, uh, your attitude, and marshalling an ability to get and accept some help. So in this way, despite experiencing these very common age-related stressors, older adults find ways to meet these challenges, and so they're still able to experience positive outcomes, including life satisfaction, meaning, contentment, and they still participate in valued activities. So 
does this sound true to what you have seen in older people you know? I would say certainly yes. And there was actually that series in the New York Times a few years ago about people who were over age 85. And that was the thing. They had all endured losses and social losses, you know, bereavements and difficulties with their health. And some of them had pretty significant limitations with their physical activities, but they were still finding all this meaning in life, which was just a fantastic message to, to share with others. So, so I think this is a better way to conceive of success in aging because it gives credit to, you know, the courage and the effort that most older adults muster up when challenges occur. So in closing, during this Older Americans Month here in the United States, or whenever you're thinking about older people, I want to encourage us all to think, how can we support older adults in anticipating and coping with age-related challenges? Because again, the reality is that most people at some point, and when it is, um, does depend on the proactive measures they took, but also depends on their social economic status and on the social supports and structures around them, right? If you're able to get better care that's adapted for your age and health conditions sooner rather than later, you can delay or avoid health problems. I mean, that I would say for sure as a geriatrician. But yes, at some point, people will encounter more and more losses and impairments. And so what if as a society, we were less afraid of this? and instead saw it for what it is, which is an opportunity to be proactive and then to step up to the challenges. And what if as a society we were better at acknowledging and celebrating the remarkable acts of resiliency and problem solving that older adults are working their way through every day? And what if, uh, what if that led to older adults feeling more comfortable getting help when it becomes necessary? So many people... Uh, really struggle with this because we so prize the idea of independence in our country. And we haven't really often learned to appreciate the idea of interdependence, the idea that it's okay if you need some help from other people. That doesn't mean that you have nothing left to offer because often people may need some help and still be able to offer a lot of help and offer a lot to their families and communities around them. So what if older adults felt more comfortable getting help? And what if we were better at providing the help? So these are some of the things that I'll be thinking about this month, because I agree, people really can engage at any age. And we need to make sure that that message is clear and actionable, even for those who aren't among the lucky agers. So in closing, if you have thoughts about what it means to successfully age or how we could collectively do more to help older adults succeed in uh, meeting these age-related challenges and coping with them, I invite you to post a comment either on the show notes page or on the related article. Here's to helping more older adults do well as they not only get older, but come across age-related challenges. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. I'll also be posting some links to some of the resources that I mentioned in the episode. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes 
And if you've already done that, please leave a rating and review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes, and I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.